the author of A Detailed Guide to the Medieval Way of St. Francis, and the head of an organization that helps Americans plan pilgrim walks across Italy. Explain your options for trekking Italy's ancient trails in just a second on today's Travel with Rick Steves. Hiking for a week or a month on a historic pilgrimage trail in Europe has become a popular way for people from all over the world to rejuvenate themselves. It's gotten so that Spain's popular Camino de Santiago is even starting to feel a little crowded sometimes. If you'd prefer a quieter pilgrim route, Italy may have the answer. Sandy Brown and Aaron Savalia have covered hundreds of miles on the historic walking trails of Italy, and they want to help you give it a try. They've recently helped to found an organization called American Pilgrims to Italy, and it's designed to help people like you and me to plan a pilgrimage hike in Italy. And Sandy has written a detailed guide to trekking the way of St. Francis from Florence to Assisi and then to Rome. They're joining us now on Travel with Rick Steves to recommend trails that St. Francis may have himself trekked. Aaron and Sandy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us, Yeah, thanks for having us. So Europe has these venerable hikes that are really long, and it has these pilgrimage trails that really have a, a, a little bit of a different meaning. Aaron, what's the difference between just a long, multi-day hike in Europe that can be famous and, and well-established, and a pilgrimage? Well, to me, a pilgrimage signifies a long walk to a place of spiritual meaning. And so, to me, the first one that I ever did was the Way of St. Francis. And so, walking along paths and stopping in towns where he had been and there were stories about him had more of a spiritual context to it than just trekking. Like the Camino goes to the the supposed tomb of St. James, is Mm -hmm. that right? In Santiago de Compostela. Yes. That would be the goal. And people in the Middle Ages walked from Paris all the way to that northwest corner of Spain with that goal in mind. Mm -hmm. And um, Martin Luther hiked from way up in Germany all the way to Rome. He was told to hike down there. It was kind of a personal... What would you call it, Sandy? A personal well, ordeal or a personal... Uh, I think you could say a pilgrimage trip. also. A mm-hmm. pilgrimage. Yeah. And then when he got to Rome, he walked up the steps of the Sacra Scala on his knees and had quite an experience in Rome. It was life-changing for him. So life-changing that it started the Reformation. <laughs> so he did a lot of thinking and he got to Rome. And uh-huh. I understand when he got up to the uh, top of those steps, he kind of goes... Does this uh-huh. really all make sense? Exactly. Uh, it's a time when you think about these things, isn't it? Yeah. Now, when we think about Italy, you guys are both specializing in, in pilgrimage trails in Italy. Mm-hmm. St. Francis would be the, the star of these things. Uh, Sandy, exactly. what is, how does St. Francis relate to these pilgrimage trails? Well, the Via di Francesco, or the Way of St. Francis, is a modern connecting of the various different sites from St. Francis' time. And so, for instance, when he had a big experience, the stigmata experience at Santuario della Verna, Uh that's connected then with Gubbio, where he spoke with the wolf, and Assisi, where he was born and had his last days and so on. Okay, so this is a modern lacing together of these stops that people who want to get into, whether they want to hike, an excuse for a hike, or to actually get into the whole life and the teaching of St. Francis, they would do this walk. Exactly. And the name of your book is Trekking the Way of St. Francis. That's right. From Florence to Assisi to Rome. So that's what that would be. And then we hear about the Francigena. The Via Francigena is a historic walk, and so it's a little different from the Way of St. Francis in terms of it was put together in the ancient world, or in the Middle Ages, actually, because there was a a priest by the name of Sidric that was elevated to the episcopacy, and he was supposed to appear in Rome to receive his pallium, which is the symbol of his office. And so he walked with a retinue from Canterbury 
across France, Switzerland, down through Italy, and arrived in Rome, and then instructed his secretary to take notes of the way back. And those notes were all contained at the cathedral in Canterbury, where they sat for a thousand years. And then a thousand years later, people said, well, what is this? And they put together the modern-day Via Francigena following that same itinerary. that's a modern-day revisit of this. Now, does that relate to Canterbury Tales at all? It does in a way because, well, in the case of Canterbury Tales, they were ending at Canterbury. Mm -hmm. In the case of this, they were starting at Canterbury. Okay. Now, would St. Francis have actually walked on that trail? On the Via Francigena, no. Although it's very possible that he walked portions of it in order to get up to the Camino de Santiago, because he did walk the Camino de Santiago he did, okay. in 1214. But the piece of the way of St. Francis that's historic is that he was summoned to Rome by Pope Innocent III, and he walked from Assisi to Rome and ended up at the St. John Lateran Church. So that's one of the stops on the way of St. Francis, and it follows roughly his okay, trek so from Assisi. Okay, so if you were so inclined, you could leave Assisi and be meditating on St. Francis and his teaching and his experience all the way to Rome. That's actually the goal, right? And then the finishing point would be St. Peter's, or exactly what? Well, we stop at St. John Lateran, mm-hmm. uh, but we end up at St. Peter's. And then in my book, I include the pilgrimage churches of Rome yeah. as an option at the end, because there are seven historic pilgrim churches, and it's about a 25-kilometer walk, and you hit all seven of those churches. Quite an interesting walk in modern-day Rome, but touching on medieval and ancient sites. So, Sandy, when you come to Piazza del Popolo, I try to think of it like a, a pilgrim 500 years ago. Yeah. What, what, what do you think when you come to Piazza del Popolo? One thing is before you get there, you would have crossed the Ponte Milvio. Uh-huh. And that's a wonderful historic place because that's where the vision of Constantine was with a cross and in the sky. when he became a Christian back in 312 or 310 or something Exactly. Like yeah. So then you follow the road into Piazza del Popolo. And of course, what you would say and what I would say first is, go into the Santa Maria Church and look at the Caravaggios that's there. That's right. So that's a piece that you have to do. Mm-hmm. And so then, the pilgrim would do that. Well, uh, if they were after Caravaggio. <laughs> yeah, well, we would encourage yeah. it. And yeah. then we would want people to walk along the ancient streets that head toward the Vatican. So there's the street where they made the beads that go on the rosaries. Uh-huh. And that's a street that we'd want people to go in. It sort of skirts along the top of the, um, you know, a couple of other, like, Piazza Navona right. on the way to uh, St. Peter's. So, and, and if you were a pilgrim, you would know that I go down this boulevard to that obelisk, and then I look to the left and I see a dome, and then I look down there and I see a statue, and you, you would know how to navigate through the city by these long, beautiful, elegant streets that led to great landmarks. Yes, and especially the pedestrian streets. Mm-hmm. So by the time a pilgrim gets to Rome, they've walked maybe 100 or 1,000 or 1,700 kilometers. Mm -hmm. So they're also looking for a bed and a cafe and uh, wanting to do the kind of walk that'll get them in the most economical kind of way to their destination. But then when they arrive in St. Peter's, there is a certificate that they can receive if they've walked at least 100 kilometers. It's the equivalent on the Camino de Santiago is the Compostela. This Mm -hmm. is called the Testimonium. Okay. And so that's a nice treat for everyone. So I was going to ask you about this. I know when you go to Community Santiago, you collect this passport. Talk about the credential and, and the practical reason for that when you are a pilgrim in Italy heading to Rome. So the credential, or they call it the credenziale, it's um, a paper that's like your passport. 
It's what differentiates you as a pilgrim from just anybody else traveling. So certain places will give you discounts on your lodging if you have your credential. And basically every town that you stop in, you get a stamp along the way. Then when you arrive at your final destination, that's sort of your proof that, hey, I'm pretty awesome because I just did this really amazing walk and these are the stamps to show it. In Rome, is there actually a, a regular place that you go and you can? there's somebody there and that their job is to stamp this credential? Yes. You go to the pilgrim's office and I did not have to wait at all. We went in. I was walking with four friends and uh-huh. we arrived. We had to fill out a piece of paper and it was actually quite emotional thinking, you know, this is it. My journey is officially done and I'm filling out this paper showing where I started and you get your final stamp, and then you receive your, like Sandy said, your testimonium. And then you have a, a souvenir for this and yes. something to remember, and it's probably a, a beautiful moment. Our guides to the Pilgrim Trails of Italy are Aaron Savalia and Sandy Brown. Aaron heads the nonprofit organization American Pilgrims to Italy. Sandy writes the Way of St. Francis guidebook and posts about his pilgrim expeditions at Caminoist.org. That's spelled C-A-M-I-N-O-I-S-T dot org. Sandy's also updating a guide to the popular Camino de Santiago in Spain. It's scheduled to be released this January by Cicerone Guides. So, Aaron, you've founded and you are the president of American Pilgrims to Italy. Exactly what is that organization? We're a small nonprofit organization that's all volunteer-based And basically what we do is supply information in English on the various Italian pilgrimage routes. We also distribute credentials currently for the Way of St. Francis and for the Way of St. Benedict as well. And Sandy, you've written the Way of St. Francis. And I can imagine if you're doing this trek, you really need to have this information. It's got elevation gains. It's got maps of each day's hike. It's got information on eating and sleeping and uh, a very informative look at all the sites you'll encounter along the way. Uh, What was your goal in writing this book? My goal was to help open up this wonderful pilgrimage to people who are English speakers because there already was a guidebook in Italian. Uh There was a guidebook in German and there was a guidebook in Dutch, but there was no guidebook in the English language. Now, I've got friends in Umbria that are very excited about investing in the infrastructure of this trail. What is your assessment of the infrastructure and and what needs to be done to make this trail, you know, well-organized as the community Santiago in Spain? Well, there are two things really that need to be done. The first is there needs to be a network of low-cost hostels. So it's very uneven in Italy. For instance, mm-hmm. in the town of Gubbio, there are nine parochial hostels mm-hmm. all competing with each other. But then you get to the town of Assisi and Assisi has no pilgrim hostel. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be a more, you know, dependable and thorough set Mm -hmm. of hostels for people in order to be able to keep the costs low. Then the second thing is we need to have better signage. So the people in Umbria are working hard on that. They promise us every year that this will be the year that there's new signage. And I believe them this year especially. Well, yes, because 2019 is the year of slow tours in Italy. So every year they pick a different theme for the year. All right. And what's your hope, Erin, that they'll be able to do with this focus? Um, I agree with Sandy. I think Mm -hmm. probably the biggest complaint that we hear from people is that the cost of lodging isn't, there's not as many options for pilgrims. It's it's hard to be a pilgrim and not have a lot of money if you have to pay uh, Assisi prices for accommodations. Yeah. And Assisi is more expensive than some of the other towns. But what these walks have on the Spanish Camino 
is Italian food. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so having walked the Camino de Santiago five times now, I'm a little tired of Menu del Peregrino. <laughs> yeah. And you get to Italy and you're offered a three-course meal and the food is spectacular oftentimes. Uh, and they take such pride in the cuisine. Sandy Brown and Aaron Savalia are taking us along the pilgrim trails of Italy right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Sandy has served as a Methodist pastor for many years and is now writing guidebooks to the Way of St. Francis and the Camino di Santiago. Aaron is president of American Pilgrims to Italy, and she's walked the Via di Francesco and Camino di San Benedetto. Her group offers advice and credentials for Americans wishing to explore Italy's pilgrim trails at AmericanPilgrimsToItaly.org. And Jake's calling in from Bend in Oregon. Jake, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. You know, I've wanted to go on pilgrimage for several years, and I am just now beginning to plan a pilgrimage. Um, I really wanted to find an alternative pilgrimage to Santiago to Compostela, uh, mainly because I've had friends in the last few years that have told me that the experience isn't really what they felt a true pilgrimage experience should be. There were so many people, and um, a lot of the accommodations were full. It was hard to find solitude. And then there was like a wave of uh, what they call pampered pilgrims, people that actually pay people to take their luggage for them Mm -hmm. so that they can just walk. And they said that the experience was disappointing. So I'm... I really wanted to find an alternative that that might embrace a more traditional pilgrimage experience, and I was thinking that Italy might be the perfect solution. Uh, my wife and I spent time in Umbria in 2009, and we were really taken with the deep traditions of St. Francis that we found there. So really, I, I was just looking for specific re- recommendations for a pilgrimage route that might incorporate some of those traditions. I'm 60, and I'm reasonably fit, so I'd be looking for a route in like the four to 500-mile range, and I could do maybe 10 to 15 miles per day, maybe six days a week. And I would prefer a route that would avoid large towns and cities. So, okay, so, well, Sandy wrote the book on this. Sandy, what would you recommend uh, in this case for Jake? I would encourage you to consider the way of St. Francis, and especially if you're looking for quiet towns, you could start... If not at Florence, start at Santuario della Verna, which is, I think, one of the most beautiful spots that I've ever seen in Italy. And it's anglicize a, that name so we can hear it. Sanctuary? Sanctuary of Laverna. Laverna, okay. And okay. it's a mountaintop convent. There's this monastery at the top of this mountain, and it is isolated and beautiful. It's and, magical. Yeah, it's truly a wonderful place. That'd be a good starting point? I think so. Then you could continue on to Assisi and go as far toward Rome as you want. If large cities bother you, you could stop at, say, Rieti. And there is even a little pilgrimage walk around what's called the Holy Valley near Rieti, where you can go to Greccio and La Foresta and some other important St. Francis sites. Mm. That would be a beautiful walk of about three weeks in length. Hmm. About three weeks. Okay. Uh, For accommodations... Are there hostels there now, uh, small hotels that are kind of pilgrim-friendly? Yeah, absolutely. And they're becoming more and more pilgrim-friendly as time goes on. So there are hostels, which in Italy you need to call a couple of days in advance so that you can reserve those. And there are also agritourismi, which are 
like rural farm bed houses. and breakfast farmhouses and little hotels also. So I recommend that people do plan reservations ahead. And you can okay. find out information either on my book or by going to the viadifrancesco.it website. Okay, it. That's the official Jake, website. Jake, thank you so much for your call, and good luck on your, um, on your aspirations to be a pilgrim. Thank you so much. I appreciate the information. You bet. Bon so, Camino. <laughs> bon Camino. I love that. Is that Italian? Bon yeah. Because yes, that's Spanish too almost, isn't it? Exactly. Right. Spanish is Buen Camino. <laughs> oh, right. Hey, uh, you know, when you were talking with Jake, I was just... Um, you both got enthusiastic when you talked about a particular site. And as I was looking through um, Sandy's book, I don't know these places. It, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, wrote, I wrote a book on Italy, too, and I don't know these places. This is a parallel world. <laughs> um, just talk for a second about, from a sightseeing point of view, what are, what are some of your favorite discoveries that you wouldn't get if you were a typical tourist, but you would get if you're a pilgrim? Aaron? Well, the Laverna Sanctuary is definitely one magical place. It's where St. Francis received his stigmata. Mm-hmm. Every day at 3 p.m., there's a procession to the chapel where it happened. And the tourists are kicked out by 7 p.m., so then it becomes this quiet sanctuary on the top of a hillside. So um, the tourists are kicked out, meaning the pilgrims can stay? Pilgrims, if you're staying in the dormant, like in oh, their hostel. That's, with, I bet that's you're looking at your clock. To, well, when does this place go back <laughs> into the Middle Ages? Huh? <laughs> That's good. Yeah, so that's quite a magical place. What about Subiaco? Su- oh, so uh, well, one of my favorite places was Subiaco along the way of St. Benedict. Uh-huh. And they've got this beautiful monastery that sits high up on top as well. I, I just visited the uh, Hermitage of uh, Cacciari, the, what's that, the, it's like prison, I think it means. Mm-hmm. It's a Benedictine monastery on Mount Subiaco, and the serenity there and the calm aura was just beautiful and the hospitality of the monks. Mm-hmm. They're so friendly, beautiful souls. And that was a touristy spot. I would imagine when you go to some of these less touristy, similar places, the wo- welcome you get is as genuine as can be. I've never been anywhere where I haven't been treated just with so yeah. much respect for being a pilgrim and just, they're just welcoming people. You know, this is, it, when we talk about the pilgrimage trails in Italy, I just want to make sure I understand because people always talked about the Via Francigena, and, Sandy, your book is called The Way of St. Francis. What mm-hmm. is the difference? Well, they're both related to the word the same is the same root for France. Right. But Francigena means the people of Frankish origin. So there's this walk, this road, and people of Frankish origin walked on it. So it's the Via oh, okay. Francigena. Oh, okay. The Via di Francesco is Francis whose name is Frankish. Okay. <laughs> but St. Francis is an actual personality. Mm-hmm. So those are two different, very different things that oftentimes are confused. But the purpose of going on a pilgrimage can be realized on either of these? Exactly. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm talking with Aaron Savalia, and I'm talking with Sandy Brown. Aaron is the president and founder of the American Pilgrims to Italy Foundation. She's the president of a nonprofit organization called American Pilgrims to Italy, and Sandy Brown writes the book, The Way of St. Francis, From Florence to Assisi to Rome. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Ryan's calling in from St. Louis in Missouri. Ryan, thanks for calling. Thank you, Rick. Uh, nice to speak to you. Yeah. Have you, uh, been, have you done uh, any pilgrim hikes yourself? I have. I've walked the Camino in 2013, and in 2017 and 2018, I've been walking portions of the Via Francigena 
in Italy, and I've written a sort of a how-to guide for both walks to talk about some of the practicalities. Mm-hmm. I suppose what struck me most about the difference between the two trails is uh, the people that you encounter, and it's just such a different experience. In Spain, there's so many pilgrims, uh, and there's so much camaraderie between the pilgrims that it's very much a shared experience with all these other people. Uh, and I was anticipating something similar when I got to Italy to walk to Francigena, and instead I found that for the first two days, I didn't meet uh, anyone. And I didn't even have a conversation with anyone for about three days. And they're both excellent ways to travel. The camaraderie is, is wonderful in Spain. I love the Camino. Uh, but Italy is obviously Italy. And that solitude is terrific, and the scenery is terrific, the food, the wine the art, the history, and passing through these places that you don't encounter as a tourist, but you do encounter on foot as a pilgrim. So, you know, I've heard that the Camino in Spain is, is getting so popular, and that they can, you can do it by bicycle, and there's people that are just kind of clowning around and stuff, and it, you know, it risks becoming a, a little too much. On the other hand, the, the camaraderie is just famous. I mean, it's just wonderful. The people you meet, these beautiful souls from all over the world with all different kinds of uh, approaches to their faith or, or their love of nature or whatever they're after, you know, and it's just a wonderful human sort of uh, celebration. And on the other hand, in, uh, the, in Italy, you don't have that popular uh, destination feeling about it. But as you said, the solitude's beautiful, uh, the nature, the history, the food, and the culture. So, Sandy, is that a fair way to compare the two, or what would you say from that experience? Well, I'm not sure what month our caller walked on the Francigena end, but it's important to compare numbers. So, for instance, in August in Santiago, there may be 1,800 to 2,000 people that check in at the uh, cathedral. In one day, finishing finishing the Exactly. Whereas in Rome, finishing the Via Francigena, there might be 15 or 20. So it's a much different scale. And I never found myself alone on the Italian stretch of the Via Francigena. But I never found myself competing for a bed either, which you do have to do sometimes on the Camino de Santiago. So it's a much different experience, probably more solitude. More solitude on the trail, but plenty Mm -hmm. of ways to connect with local people in the various villages that you stay in, the places you you stop in on over the course of your day. Yeah. All right. Ryan, thanks for your call. Uh, Can I make one more comment? Sure. Yeah. It's important to remember that these are not single trails. They're networks of trails. Mm -hmm. So if you want to walk the Camino de Santiago, you have about 10 or 12 different choices of the paths that you take to get to Santiago, some of which are more and less busy than others. The Via Francigena in Italy is actually one of those routes. I've stood at a crossroads, and there is a via sign pointing south towards Rome and a Camino yellow arrow pointing north toward Santiago. So these, these routes give you lots of options if you want to do something that's more or less uh, crowded or more or less um, art-intensive right. or you want to try a, a wine region or something like that. You have a lot of choice. Yeah, I've heard people doing the community Santiago on on uh, numerous trips, and each time with a different route. That's an option. That's why the you got that uh, scallop shell, right? It's got all the different uh, ridges of that shell converging on the That's same right. place, mm-hmm. the, the right. tomb right. of St. James. All right, Ryan, best wishes with your work and with your writing. Thanks for your Thank call. Thank you very much, Rick. You bet. You know, one thing I've always wondered about is... What's better if you're on a pilgrimage, to go alone or to go with a friend or a group? Um, what do you think? 
Sandy? Well, Erin might have her own opinion about this, but I'll tell you, for me, on the Camino de Santiago, I like to go alone or with somebody. If I go alone, I meet people. Right. And it's more common that a person that goes with somebody else is already sort of self-contained and less mm-hmm. likely to meet other people. So, for instance, in 2011, I met this group of about 10 people, and we've walked together almost every year. We have reunions now hmm. in different places in Europe where we come together to remember our walk together. You just met them on the trail? Met them on the trail. We and you stayed together the whole time? Yeah. yeah. Right. Now, on the Via Francigena, I was walking by my own, but I came across a Quebecois from um, New Brunswick, I guess, or actually not a Quebecois, but... Um, he, his English was great. He was walking from Canterbury, and we walked together for the next 10 days. It's nice to have companionship. It's mm-hmm. important to have somebody that understands that pilgrim walking is also time for silence and solitude, even if you're walking together with somebody. And it's something that's a little bit of a hardship if you, for instance, you have a spouse, and they're a fast walker, and you're a slow walker, and you discover that pace makes a lot of difference mm-hmm. as to whether you can have a walking partner. Erin, what's your thought on doing a pilgrimage alone or, or with a partner? So I've done both. I've walked some stages completely alone. And as a woman, it's a very different feeling walking alone. Mm. I really enjoyed it. However, I had people coming up and asking me all the time if I was scared. So the first time I walked the way of St. Francis, I walked with my sister for a portion of it. And we came across a group of Italians. They were had all left and we're walking alone, and we formed a unit, and we're still all in touch and great That's friends. Great. And I, in fact, went on with one of them to walk the way of St. Benedict. I was so. a little disappointed with Martin Sheen in The Way, in that movie, because <laughs> he was walking with a bunch of people the whole time, and he never yeah. had much time yeah. for himself. And I thought, yeah. that's kind of, I think it'd be easier to walk with people, but I think, it, for me, it might be a richer experience if I'd made myself alone. Plus, as you said, you'd meet more people along the way. You probably wouldn't be any lonelier. I, I think... Uh, You'd have a lot of interaction with a lot of people. We're almost out of time. I just want to know quickly, Aaron, roughly how many miles a day does a pilgrimage entail? I would say 12 to 15 at least. Sandy? Same for me. My longest ever was about 28 miles. That's, that's a lot. more than you want to do. 10, yeah, fi- that was 10, about 15 miles too. a day. You yeah. take, um, I think they take a month to get from Saint-Jean-de-Pierre. Saint Jean Pied de Port. Saint Jean. That's why I don't speak Spanish. Uh, uh, French. That's why I don't speak <laughs> French. Saint Jean Pied de Port to Santiago it takes about a month, and that's right. probably fifteen miles a day or something. Well, something can like I that. can I say one thing real quick too? With the Italian routes, yeah. there is a difference in that the Spanish ones you tend to walk through town, so you can stop and get a coffee. Right. The Italian ones, a lot of times, you might leave a town and not enter another town until your destination What's for that? the night. It's that um, sparse. At, at some stages, def- right. definitely. And then a uh, quick uh, tip on, on just foot care, uh, blisters, boots. <laughs> uh, just in a nutshell, Erin, what's your best advice? I am a big fan of trail runners and trekking poles. I did one Camino with trail runners and one with hiking boots. Hiking boots, I had several blisters and trail plantar fasciitis. Trail runners, fasci- meaning uh, tennis shoes designed for the Exactly, yeah. yeah. And walking sticks like and Germans use? Exactly, I thought that was just Germans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Walking stick, yeah. Oh. Sandy, so walking sticks, uh, Aaron says, and trail runners. That's I use sock liners, uh-huh. and I use then wool socks. Uh-huh. I wear boots, yeah. but my boots and my feet are very good friends. They have a close working relationship. Okay. And I always practice. I train in advance primarily so that I can know that my boots and my feet are going to get along. That would be <laughs> fundamental, I would think. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about pilgrimage trails in Italy. Our guests are Sandy Brown and Aaron Zavaglia. 
Now, you guys both are just, you're just beaming with um, <laughs> an almost evangelical love of this pilgrimage experience. <laughs> uh, I just would like to wrap it up with a thought from each of you about what is the magic of a pilgrimage for somebody who's traveled a lot but never experienced this? Erin, why do you care? I think you push yourself and you get to know yourself. You're away from all your distractions that you have back home, and you'll find yourself really, really tired. And you, ha- you got to find the strength within to keep on going. So it's just, it's a chance to really get to know yourself better. When I'm on the end of the Camino de Santiago, I like to be in that square when people reach it. Mm. And I see them just overwhelmed with jubilation and exhaustion. Yes. And, <laughs> and a feeling that, yes, we did it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Sandy, you're a, you're a Methodist pastor. And uh, this is not something I would really think of it as a Methodist experience, more of a Catholic experience, but <laughs> you true. do it You do it with a, a religious fervor and a, yeah. and, and, a, and a gusto. What is it? I was it? accused by a monk of being part Catholic, <laughs> but I did major at the University of Washington in medieval history. Uh-huh. And so this is a connection with something that's been fascinating for me for a long time. So I love the walk itself. But then at the end of the day, I don't mind sort of stumbling into a restored 10th century monastery that's out in the middle of the forest that now has turned into a hotel, but still with the Romanesque chapel at the side. And to understand that this history is a thousand or more years old and to be able to walk in it, to be able to see the sights and smell the smells and enjoy the experiences that St. Francis must have had, it feels that it connects me to a history that's much deeper than I could experience at home. And to feel like in our society everything is faster and and better looking and what are you going to put on on the internet and all this kind of stuff. And then to have a a vacation uh, that really lets you be quiet, where you can hear your heart, where you can be under this beautiful sky, where you can be in touch with this heritage and centuries of, of uh, devotion and beautiful nature and good Italian food. <laughs> What's not to like about yeah, that? You can't go wrong. What's the word again? Bon Camino. Bon Camino. All right. Hey, well, Aaron, <laughs> Aaron Zavilia, Sandy Brown, Bon Camino. Grazie. Thank you. Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take thousands of free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Europe, one small group at a time. This year, you can choose from more than 40 different vacations in Europe's best destinations, from Ireland to Greece, and practically everywhere in between. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.